0: Well, amen. Good morning, First Family. It is a joy to be back together, isn't it? You know, I want to start with a little story. Go back within about 20 years to Orlando, Florida. There's a brand new football stadium that's constructed, Bright House Football Stadium for the University of Central Florida. And it's a grand and glorious place. It has all the proper amenities and it's well constructed, designed as it should be for people and designed to host events like football games. It was a grand and glorious thing. They welcomed people that first Saturday that it was open, a Saturday not unlike yesterday. I don't know if you noticed, but it was a little warm yesterday. And you know, they didn't have a chance to test run it, so they missed something. The architects missed it. The engineers missed it. The planners missed it. The people who walked through the building missed it. The plumbers missed it. The electricians missed it. Everybody missed it until they had a stadium full of people. 70, 80,000 people come into the stadium. On a hot, sunny day, they realized their mistake. You might say, well, what was it? No water fountains. Not a one. They did not put them in the building. Well, why not? Well, obviously to drive concession sales, but that was only part of it. It was simply an oversight, or at least that's what they said it was. I don't think I've ever in my life before that moment or after it watched a press conference with the stadium personnel, you know? But they held one after that game. And here's what they said. Here's what they said. Listen to this now. We underestimated people's need for water. what are you new to being human is that something that you wow you underestimated one of the most basic building blocks of our foundational existence how does that even happen well they forgot one fundamental thing the purpose of that stadium was not football it was people let's be clear friends that's our purpose too Jesus came for people. And let's pause right now and say, this church belongs to Jesus Christ. Always has and always will. We've got 140 years of history doing that, almost, and it is a grand and glorious thing. But it's easy to miss the obvious. And so today we're going to take a minute and we're going to look at who God has called FBC to be. Now, if you're new to us, this is new information. I'm going to encourage you to go along with us on this journey and understand this. But if you're not, this is just a refresher. And the reason we do this, we do it at least once annually. We do it to remind ourselves so that we don't make the mistake the planners and builders of the football stadium made. We don't want to forget what we're supposed to be about. And it's about people. It's about worshiping God. It's about being who God has called us to be. Not just doing church. Let me just stop right now and say, God, save us from the idea of doing church. Doing church means you just come to a building, you check in, you sing the songs, you pray the prayers, you listen, and then you go home. That's all there is to it. If that's what we're doing, then let's just dismiss and go play some golf. But if it's more than that, then it's something we ought to be, not do being Trump's doing every time. Any fool can do, it takes somebody passionate to be. So I want us to take a minute and take a look at our vision statement and take a look at our core values, these things that make us who we are. Around the building, in a lot of places, you'll find our rosette shape. It's a a shape that you see all over our building, and rightfully so. It's been a part of us from the very beginning. And inside of that, in several key places around the building, you'll find our mission statement. If you're not familiar with it, then look online. You can find it on our website. And I want you to notice inside what it says. It's not an accidental statement. Let me read it for you. Led by the Holy Spirit, the mission of First Baptist Church is to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Hard stop, period. If we don't get anything else done, let's be like Jesus. Let's care about what he cares about and let's love who he loves. Let's serve who he would serve and let's go where he sends us. Continuing on, to leave a legacy of faith, we'll worship, disciple, and fellowship where we are in order that we may evangelize and serve where God leads. This is what we said as a church that we wanna do. Now how will we carry that out? Well, that brings us to the core values, and they're what surrounds our little, our little rosette shape. I want to take you through those six core values, and we're going to put a bonus one at the end. Let's start with the most core of the core values, prayer. It's our most pri- private value. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. The writer of Hebrews, whoever that might be, in chapter 10 says, Pray boldly and come before the throne of grace, knowing that he welcomes you. The opportunity we have in prayer is to bring our needs, our concerns, our hurts, our pains, our joys into the presence of the living God upon whom we are building our life, like the song just said. But you know what? Some people misunderstand prayer. Immediately, when some people think of prayer, their eyes rolled back into their heads. The word has come to mean, for some, the least interesting, most boring thing you can do. If I want to kill a meeting altogether, then I'll announce it as a prayer gathering where everyone will take turns praying aloud. I can promise you there will be some who will say, I'd rather die. And the reason is we misunderstand what prayer is to be about. We think it is to impress those who are hearing. Oh, friends, let me tell you, we are not praying so others will hear us. They're invited to the conversation, but they are not the audience. Our God should be the audience to whom we are praying. It is his heart that we're trying to connect with. It is his desires that we want expressed in our lives. It is his vision and his direction that we want to get on board with. I cannot imagine a more exciting opportunity than we have to come in the presence of the living and risen king. You know, every now and then, our congressman will come to town. If you don't know Congressman Fluger, he's a good man. And what impresses me about him is he doesn't carry himself as somebody who's significant or powerful. He just walks in and looks just as at home in blue jeans and boots as he would any other, other way. What impresses me, though, is how some people will not approach him because they think he's too busy. He's, he's too important for them. I understand why. But can I tell you, while it is indeed a significant thing to be a congressman, it is a shadow of what God has in his heart for us. Not only that, if you want to talk to the congressman, you've got to arrange it just so. Get to a town hall or call his office. But if you want to talk to the living God, all you've got to do is bow your head. Not even that. Can I tell you today, friends, prayer ought to be one of the most vital things we do. But some will say, but Darren, I don't even know how to pray. I've got good news for you. The disciples asked Jesus the same question. You find it in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus offers them a model prayer. Taking that sort of as our model, we're going to ask how to pray. Here's where we'll start. We're going to begin with humility. Like the Pharisee and the sinner in Luke 18, let us earnestly seek God's favor without telling God how badly he needs us. The parable that we reference here is one where Jesus tells a story, a story of two men who went to pray. One walks in confident, raising his eyes to the heavens and declaring how lucky God is to have him. And the other one comes in humble and kneels before God, Which one of those is closer to what Jesus instructed in Matthew 6? Well, let's go look. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know that prayer. What it says is let's make sure we understand who's in charge and who isn't. Begin with humility. Here's a second piece. Speak to God honestly and often. Speaking to God honestly means telling God what's really on your heart no matter how that might look and sound to you. I want to focus on being transparent with God because he already knows the truth anyway. There've been many people in my journey as pastor that I've talked to that have said, "I can't tell God how I'm really feeling because I'm angry with him. I'm disappointed in the direction he's taken my life. I'm frustrated that he isn't doing what I want him to do." Can I tell you friends If you are willing to acknowledge at least that much, then you are really ready to pray. Because God already knows that anyway. And that brings me to the third thing. Make confession a regular part. Jesus said, forgive us our trespasses. This is a regular component of our prayer life. Recognizing that we fall short, bringing those to God, agrees with him that it was wrong, and encourages us to leave it behind. First John 1-9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. This, friends, is an opportunity. And that leads us to the final piece, offer thanks freely. Just like Jesus did in the model prayer. Thank you God for who you are. The acknowledgement that he is the source of all blessing. Can I tell you today, friends, prayer, ought not be the most boring thing we do, to do in our day, but the most exciting, the most vibrant, the part that says, I get to talk to God because he wants to hear from me. Prayer invariably leads to worship. Worship, it's our second core value and our most public one. It's the thing we do best and it's where you are right now, isn't it? It's an ancient word. It means to acknowledge value. It means we recognize how much something is worth and we exalt that thing or that person to a proper level. We elevate them in our thinking. We elevate them in our hearts. We think about it. We talk about it. We tell others about it. We fixate on it. We don't let anybody distract us from it because it means so very much to us. The core truth is that we are hardwired, hardwired now, as worshipers. Hmm. We saw that yesterday, didn't we? If you're like me, you watched college football yesterday. And let's be clear, you saw some worship services, didn't you? They have cathedrals, they have their own songs, they have their dress codes. And if you think I'm wrong then show up at the football stadium wearing the wrong colors. They will tell you, friends. They will tell you. But the problem is, no matter whether your team won or lost yesterday, it's not eternal. It won't last. If you're the fan of the team that won the championship last year, then you can tell me who won. But who came in second? Can I ask you that? So I want, to, I want you to realize something. We can worship the wrong thing and find ourselves in the wrong place. Now, a lot of people think about worship in some interesting ways. Some have come to understand that worship is defined by how I dress, how I come to church appearing. Let's be clear. 2 Samuel 16 says it well. God is much more interested in your heart than what's on the outside. So you come to church however you are. We will welcome you just like you are. God is far more interested in what's inside. Others have said, worship is to be understood by how I participate. And so some will come singing exuberantly. I love that. Others will say, you couldn't make me sing with a crowbar. I wanna encourage you to recognize something, friends. Worship is something you are, not something you do. Out of the overflow and the gratitude of your heart, your mouth will speak. If you're not very grateful, you won't be a worshiper. But if you are grateful, then you can't help but be a worshiper. I wanna encourage you, friends, to recognize three things about worship. Three things that we find rooted in John chapter four. How to worship. It starts with inviting God to dominate your thinking. To move from the periphery to the center. To move from the things on the edges to the center of your life. That place in your heart and mind where we dwell so frequently. It allows us to let that be the core of the apple for us. To let everything revolve around that. Inviting God to dominate my thinking doesn't mean that I get so, as they say, heavenly-minded, I'm no earthly good, but it does mean that I recognize worship is an every-day-of-the-week event, not just on Sunday. It calls me to motivate myself and to get my heart engaged. It calls me to think about God when I'm working, when I'm doing whatever it is that I do throughout the week. And that brings me to the second thing. Your worship should be something you are, not something you do calls us to recognize this existence for when push comes to shove, what we think about worship will come to the surface. See it in Daniel 3, where we find Shadrach, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego painted into a corner. Nebuchadnezzar the king has erected a, a humongous idol and said, this is what you will worship. Bow down here. Bow down and worship here or else push has come to shove. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children, they know their worship is reserved for God and God alone. And so they have a choice to make. Will worship be something they do or something they are? They choose to let it be something they are and so they refuse the king's command. You know the rest of the story. They get bound up and thrown into the fiery furnace. And what happens? Jesus meets them there. Because let's be clear, he inhabits our praise. So says Psalm 95, and indeed, so says our experience. Worship should be something you are, not something you do. That's why there are times when I cannot help myself but raise my hand. You know, when I was growing up, they told me, if you know the answer, raise your hand raise your hand and let me tell you I can't help it sometimes and if that's you that's fine if it's not then you're in good company I got a lot of friends that would rather die than raise their hands I understand that but don't let it stop you likewise for saying amen you hear something you agree with then you're free to say amen if you don't agree with it then you can say boo that's okay too But I want to encourage you to recognize worship is an active thing, not passive. If you're coming to this building and hoping that you just get it by osmosis, you're going to be here a long time waiting because it won't happen that way. It happens when you engage your heart and your mind together, which brings us to the third thing. Focus your worship on God's Spirit and not your preferences. John 4, that passage I referenced a minute ago, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and she says to him, Sir, your people say we have to go to Jerusalem, but we think we can worship right here in Samaria. What about that? Jesus turns it on its head, and he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Your location will not define your worship. Your worship will be something far better and deeper than that. So worship, it's our most public value, but it's not the last one. Let's go on to the third one, evangelism. Our most outwardly facing value. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus about to ascend to heaven says, Go! Go! The Great Commission is both progressive and as you're going, because it's a progressive tense an imperative. It compels us to speak to Christ and about how Christ has changed our lives. For many, however, it's the least comfortable thing we'll do. We struggle with it because we don't feel like we know enough. If I really wanted to kill a meeting, I'd say let's hold a prayer meeting and we'll go around the circle, everybody praying, and add to it And then we'll go out doing evangelism. Oh man, there will be many who won't come simply because they don't feel qualified. Can I give you some good news about how to tell people about Jesus? It isn't nearly as hard as you think. How do I tell people about Jesus? Really, you just need a couple of things. One, tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Like blind Bartimaeus, like Zacchaeus. Those two men are in Luke 1 in chapter 10, 1 in chapter 19. Bartimaeus says, hey, I, I have nothing to lose here. I'm going to call on the name of Jesus. And Jesus calls him out and says, come up here and let's, let's talk. What do you want from me? And he says, I want, I want my sight, Jesus. Jesus heals him. I want to ask you, do you ever think there was a day Bartimaeus didn't talk about Jesus again? He knew the difference between being blind and having sight. He talked about Jesus all the time because he couldn't help it. A grateful heart does that. Now let's go to Zacchaeus. In chapter 19, we find our friend Zacchaeus. He and Bartimaeus could not be more different. Bartimaeus had no social position whatsoever, Zacchaeus had all of it. Bartimaeus had no material goods, Zacchaeus had all of it at his disposal and yet they both find themselves in the same place, needing a touch from Jesus. Let's pause here and say, don't we all? Don't we all? This touch from Jesus is something that is fundamental to us. Why? Because we are broken. There's no good in us. Our lives are wrecked with sin. We've sold ourselves into slavery. There's this idea in our modern culture and society that says, well, people are inherently good. If government will simply give them the help, then they'll do good on their own. Let me tell you, I worked at Sears for about six years. People are not inherently good, all right? I've been a pastor for 24, 24 today, in fact, now that I think of it. Let me tell you, People are not inherently good. They will go out of their way to destroy themselves, just like Zacchaeus did. And yet what happens with Zacchaeus is the same thing that happens to us. Jesus comes to him. I want to encourage you today. Jesus is coming for you too. Maybe you've never thought about Jesus that way, but he's looking for you, just like he was Zacchaeus. And what does he say to Zacchaeus? Come down from there. I need to go to your house and have supper. <laughs> that was better than Zacchaeus's wildest dreams. And what happened? Zacchaeus' life was changed by the encounter with Christ. May it be so for us as well. You see, evangelism isn't nearly as hard as we make it. Not when we tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Let your story... Be nothing more than how Jesus changed your life. That's it. You don't need any theology for that. Secondly, invite them to join us for a Sunday. Join us for a Sunday. I want to encourage you today to recognize that's easy. When I, <clears throat> when I, think, about, when I think about the opportunity God has given us here, I recognize that sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes it allows us to get ourselves into the wrong positions. But I want us to recognize evangelism points us back in the right direction. Now, I know evangelism has gotten a bad name, but what does the word mean? It means good news. That's it. Nothing more than that. Good news. You sharing the good news of Jesus is What this world needs most, which brings us to our fourth core value, missions. Missions, it's our most extended value. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, about to ascend into heaven, says this, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He left us, Jesus did, with specific direction. Be witnesses. What does a witness do? He simply tells what he's seen. She simply tells what she's experienced. If we really believe the gospel has the power to change lives, if we really believe it can release people from their past, if we really believe that it will grant eternal hope, then we should never stop talking about it. And that, friends, is why we go. Go. It's something we've always done. Can I tell you that's something that at FBC is something we've always been. You know, we were founded in 1886, almost 140 years ago now. We were the Johnny-come-latelys, third in line. Six months earlier, First Methodist was founded, and four months earlier than us, First Presbyterian was founded. All three churches were founded with the idea that a frontier town like us needed a mission outpost. And here, 140-ish years later, we're still at it. Our work in the Permian Basin, our Jerusalem, isn't yet completed. Thus, we're still serving our mission purpose. We've planted churches all over this town, but we're still planting them. That's why we launched First Family Fellowship on our north side. We realized there were literally thousands of homes up there, and our demographics indicated we weren't reaching any of them. Well, if they won't come to us, we'll go to them. And indeed, that's what we're still doing. But it's not just the north side. We have people right around our church that don't speak our language. So we launched First Baptist in Espanol, meeting right now in Fellowship Hall. Our friend Adolfo Chavez has done a fabulous job. And let me just pause here for a moment and say they're doing solid, Christ-honoring work in both campuses. We're excited, friends, about what we see there. And for Espanol, the nations are coming to us. We've had guests from Mexico, Venezuela, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, all over the Latin world. They've come here. And friends, I want to tell you, there's some of them, some places that we can't go, and yet God has brought them here. This, friends, is the essence of missions. But we're not done. We're launching something this fall that I'm really excited about. Some of our partner churches in other parts of the country have done this and found a lot of success in relationship building and opening doors for evangelism. And so we're going to try it. We're calling them park parties. Park parties. We're going to invite you to participate. We're going to roll what, we, what I affectionately call the weenie wagon, which is our, 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 our wagon that has all the wreck stuff in it and the, the wagon that holds all the snow cone stuff. And we're going to roll that out to one of our parks and roll out some inflatables, blow them up, cook some hot dogs, serve snow cones, and build relationships for the gospel. This, friends, is what we plan to do in reaching our Jerusalem. You might say, well, that doesn't sound very hard, Darren. Is that really missions? You bet it is. We're seeing God do his work, moving on quickly. In connection with a dozen more ministry partners across the Permian Basin, we're engaged in food ministry, emergency shelter, clothing, crisis pregnancy, English as a second language, ministry to inmates. We're seeking seeking to help the homeless with ministries like Fields Edge, Fair Havens, seeking to help single mothers with children find a new way. The Baptist Crisis Center, Midland Soup Kitchen, The Life Center, Teen Flow, China Aid, Reach China. These are all ministries that are based right here in the Permian Basin. I want to tell you, friends, we are grateful to partner with them. We're also serving broader than that. It's not just limited to the Permian Basin. In Longmont, Colorado, right outside of Denver, We're partnering with a wonderful church plant. We partner with Life Recovered, a ministry founded and serving uh, by our friend Jimmy Story, FBC's own Jimmy Story, serving ministers who need counseling. We're excited about our work with Capstone Church in Helena, Montana. Extended a little further and you'll find we're working there too, around the world. This fall, James and Katie are leading a mission trip to Toronto. Did you know that we've been engaged in planting almost 40 churches in the Toronto metro area? It's not new work. Our friend Mark Merritt, gone home to be with Jesus, started this work nearly 20 years ago now. We're still at it because we believe that people need Jesus. Not just on North America's continent either. One of our church members is Gitana. Gitana leads a ministry called Watch and Pray. Watch and Pray serves Ethiopia and East Africa, supporting churches, planting churches, pastors, and reaching the lost of East Africa. Through their ministry, we encountered another one in Nairobi, Jeremiah Kabobi. His ministry is called Visions of Glory and Magnet School. They do church starting, pastor training, care for children, and I tell you today, my friends, I just love to say the name where Jeremiah's ministry is, Ongada Rongai. Isn't that just fun to say? You might say, I don't know how to spell it, Darren. Well, come see me later. I'd love to talk with you more about it. They are just outside of the Nairobi game preserve. One particular morning, I opened Facebook to see that they had caught a female lion roaming around in town. Talk about problems we don't have, Right? We also partner with Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Beirut, Lebanon. Three weeks from tomorrow, Brian Pinson, our missions pastor, and I will be traveling to Beirut to share in the 25th anniversary of that ministry. We partner with Greg Smith, based in Atlanta, but a resident person who grew up in our church He's equipping pastors worldwide. This doesn't even get to the ministries we can't talk about for fear of endangering them. Friends, I want to tell you, we are a blessed church. All told, more than 80 ministries are directly connected to us. That doesn't even get to the Baptist General Convention, our state body that we belong to, where we have hundreds of missionaries serving all around the world nor does it touch the Southern Baptist Convention where we have literally thousands of missionaries scattered all over the world. We believe in missions. It's a significant part of who we are. But it's also one of our real problems. Let me tell you why. For many years, some in our church believed that our part of missions was funding it. Funding it. We'd raise the money and we'd send the money and our part of missions was done. Check. We can say we did missions. While there's much to be said for that, and through your generosity, we've been able to bless a lot of ministries. It's not enough. I want to encourage you today, friends, to recognize God is calling you to go, too. Yes, you. You might say, well, I, I don't have any special skills. You don't need any. If you can speak English... Then you are a welcome partner in 99% of the world. If you have the capacity to tell your story about Jesus, you are needed. I don't want to tell you, friends, going. It ought not be something we do if we can, something we do because we must. Let's move on swiftly. Community, it's our connecting value, the thing that binds us together. In Acts 2 42 through 47, we see the early church coming together. And although we used to use the term fellowship, and in many of your translations, that's what you'll find in that verse, we've shifted to community. And why did we do that? Because too often the word fellowship now means meal provided. Let's be honest about that. What we desire, though, is for FBC to be a community, a body, a group of people of faith, Loving, serving, and connecting with one another in order that we might grow in our relationship with Christ and one another. We were made for one another. If you need any examples of that, recognize what happened during COVID. We learned a hard lesson in that season, and one of them is that isolation is bad for us. Community, it means we link arms together. Let's move on swiftly. Discipleship, our ever-growing value. We're not done with this yet. Go back to Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One of the things hiding in plain sight in this verse is the imperative. It's not go. Now, Jesus wanted us to go or he wouldn't have said it, but the imperative, the thing that Jesus said, get done if you don't do anything else, is the make disciples part. It's one thing to go and win people to Christ. It's another thing to raise them up to maturity. Imagine, if you will, that we give birth to infants and then we abandon them. It's criminal. You'll be charged with a crime if you do that here in the great state of Texas. We are called to disciple, starting with ourselves and then to others. That's why we have literally a half dozen studies that are launching this week. This week, they'll get on their feet on Wednesday night. It's not too late for you to sign up. Here's a few examples of them. We've got almost two dozen couples signed up for our Grace Marriage Series. I want to tell you how excited I am about that. We added so many that wanted to participate, we felt like it was necessary to add another session. So we're doing it on Wednesday night and Sunday night. Not tonight, but next Sunday. That'll get started. Can I tell you today, friends, our God is up to something, and I'm excited about it. Katie Little will be leading our ladies' Bible study. Brian is teaching a class on spiritual disciplines. Our student ministry is leading first priority. As always, our Wednesday evening Bible study continues. Can I tell you today, my friends, we will show our growth. We will show it. Here's how. One, we'll show them through our lives. Show them through our lives. Secondly, we'll love them where they are. Third, we'll challenge them to grow with us. And fourth, we'll challenge ourselves to remember discipleship is more than just information. One last element and we'll be done. Hang in there with me. I know we're running along on time. Generosity. If there's one thing I hear over and over again, it's this generosity is one of the things our church is known for. I'm proud of that. I'm excited about it, especially as we enter into our month of prayer for the Mary Hill Davis offering. We'll talk about that next week. I know it's been a big year for us, and with oil where it is, it's always good for Midland. I want us to keep that ball rolling because all of these things come back to one thing, a relationship with Christ. If you've never invited Christ into your life, here is the time for you to consider that for yourself. Jesus came to give you new life. Nothing more, nothing less. My encouragement to you is to recognize that because he came to give you new life, he intends for you to use it for his glory. Well, Darren, I don't don't have that new life. Then here's what I want you to do. Just as soon as we're done, right here, I want you to come down and meet me right here. We're gonna stand up, we're gonna sing. That's your cue. Here's the next thing I want you to do. If you've already done that, but you've never been baptized, here's your day. Come down and let's talk about how to get that taken care of. Third, maybe you need to come and ask God for a reset. A reset. This altar is open for you to do that very thing. Maybe you need to be a part of our church. We invite you to do that very thing. Today is the day to decide that you will reset. We're starting a new season, literally. Tomorrow is the last day of summer. It is a good day to say, God, reset my heart. My prayer is that very thing. Pray with me, won't you? We know, Lord Jesus, that you've called us to be, not just do. Don't let us make the mistake, Lord, of forgetting what we're to be about. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation. You became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. You have compelled us to go as ambassadors. Do that very thing, Lord Jesus, in our hearts. I pray for those who need to make decisions today. Do your work, Lord, right here and right now. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.